Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Shane Cooper, who is the Associate Dean for Administration and Enrollment at the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Before Shane transitioned out to the law school, he spent about 25 years in the Navy, first as a submarine officer before becoming a judge advocate through the legal education program. And as a judge advocate, Shane has served in a variety of roles, including his last assignment, which was CEO of the Naval Justice School in Newport, Rhode Island from which he retired in July, 2021. So Shane, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. Law school administration. That is not an easy jump to make, although many of us consider the Naval Justice School the Harvard of the service. How did you go about getting there? That's a interesting one because I would say I had no plan at all in mind to end up in law school administration until, frankly, when I saw a job posting that I happened to be looking on, and I think higher I was just doing some general research. No idea in mind. I happened to see this job posting here at the University of New Hampshire, Franklin Pierce. And it just got my mind to start looking at the description and to, to see if this is something I could do. And as I was looking at it, I said, you know, I think I could actually do this position. And it sounded really interesting. So that got the wheels in motion. And the thought of joining a law school, higher education and administration, what, what was interesting is at Naval Justice School, that was really the first formal position that I had in the Navy where I was really focusing on training and education. I think as JAGs, there's a lot of training going on all the time organically from the minute you become a JAG as you work with others in in the Navy around you. uh, There's always training going on. But to have it done in a more formal, programmatic way at Naval Justice School really uh, inspired me to understand that business side, if you will, of of how to do this. And it was certainly a lot of on-the-job training, but I realized I really enjoyed that type of work. So the opportunity to consider that at a law school was really intriguing. And candidly, the the geography worked really well because my wife is from New Hampshire. So just sort of dream about where could these sort of uh, jobs come up and do it. But I had no thought in my mind when I first looked at the job posting and started to do some research that it would actually turn into me applying for it and going on further. I think the next thing I could share is about it is that when I then looked at that job, I recalled that there had been some colleagues of ours in the Navy Jack Corps that had gone on to similar jobs, uh, Hank Molinengo being one of them at George Washington uh, University. And it got me curious to maybe reach out and just find out more. And I learned that I think Tammy Tideswell at that point had moved into a position that was similar there or sort of taken on the position that Hank had. And so I just sort of cold emailed, I think it was Tammy at one point, and just checked in because um, I had known her from before. And she was so gracious with her time and, you know, called me pretty much right away and then got connected with Hank Malinengo, who was much more senior to me in the JAG Corps. And he was really generous with this time as well. And then from talking to those two, I was able to learn a bit more of what this could be all about. Yeah, Mongo is always very good with his time to everybody. I looked at your profile on LinkedIn. And like I said, you had a number of jobs. You had SJA jobs. You had trial counsel jobs. What is it that when you looked at this job advertisement that you went home and said, here's what I can parlay into an academic setting other than the Naval Justice School where you were focused on training? Yeah, 
there is an aspect to the job posting that really talked about administrative leadership, but in that law school field. I'm sitting there at the Naval Justice School and had felt like this is a really similar position. There's a lot of programmatic work that I was involved with at the Justice School, really in this hat of that we would wear at the Justice School about being the special assistant for training for the JAG course. And as you know, during the time I was at the Justice School, you know, there's a lot of innovation and a lot of change and a lot of re-examination of, of how we train Navy Judge Advocates, Coast Guard and Marine Corps Judge Advocates. And so that challenging period of time for me to be in that chair really allowed me to develop new skills and, and, and really think through how to develop a program for an entire enterprise, you know, thousands of people in, in, in an organization that large. And I was really happy to have leadership that pretty much let me run, right? Like, all right, you know, whatever ideas you have, go with them and then help me resource those. So as I found some successes and experiences there in the Navy, when I looked at the job posting with uh, UNH Rank Comparison, I saw that what they needed inside their law school was sort of that same type of organizational influence to provide some leadership. I thought that was intriguing. And then, frankly, just working in uh, enrollment management and missions, which is, was completely a foreign territory for me, was, okay, this is new, and that sounds challenging, and that would be a really maybe interesting thing to learn. And, you know, of course, there's a lack of confidence in that. You're like, well, I don't know why they'd hire me if I've never had that practical experience. But I think, as you know, in the Navy, you get thrown into a lot of jobs over time that you don't quite have all the parts there. And we figure it out and we figure it out pretty quickly. And so you gain that confidence to know, if you just drop me in here, I'm sure we can figure this thing out. I'd say really then to go back to your main part of your question is that I think it's my experience at the Justice School and the fact that it sounded like a lot of things rhymed at this position in New Hampshire uh, made me interested in looking into it more. And of course, that's just at the front. It took me a lot more research and actually the interview process itself to even figure out if it was what was going to be the right fit. But right at the upfront, it seemed like it was close enough. So that's why I, I looked into it further. So Concord is not a big Navy town by any stretch of the imagination. And here you are coming as sort of an outsider. And, and that point you made of why would they ever hire me? So how did you work this in the sense of was there a networking connection that was able to help you pull your resume or was it just in the stack and you were fighting it out with the other folks? Yeah, a bit of in the stack, I think, or at least that was my impression, right, is I'm going to just put this application in. And let me be clear up front, like I put the application in with no expectations that this was going to lead to anything. In many ways, I thought, well, this is a really good exercise for me, right? I had, I think, grown up through a, a Jaguar career. And as you get towards the end, you sort of have this like stereotypical, I'm going to call it stereotypical, but maybe for me, it seemed like this. You have like a one-year plan or a two-year process and it'll all be mechanical. And then you will figure out the day you'll retire. And then from there, you'll back into it nine months later and you'll go through the whole thing. It's a very methodical approach. And what I learned is I saw this thing, it looked intriguing. I said, let me kick the tires on this. I might as well start the process of applying. What's the harm, right? Maybe I just get a simple rejection and, and we go on our way. So it was very much just put the application in. I will say I thought I was trying to be at least ready for that process. I spoke to the two former JAGs I mentioned to you who are already in the same industry so I could understand if that was a job that would work. I spoke to a former professor I've stayed in touch with through my LLM degree, and he's on the academic faculty side, and he really took me aside and said, now are you sure you understand the difference between administration and faculty, teaching and administration? You know, of course, I've got some teaching interest, and this school's been great in providing me with some opportunities there, but there is a distinction in academia. 
and, and I'm learning, you know, quickly the the distinctions in those positions. And so he was able to kind of give me some feedback and just so I understood what I was looking into. And I remember sprucing up my LinkedIn profile, you know, up to this point in the military, you just kind of have one, some have a great one, some, you know, it's just there. I made sure that that thing was uh, ready because I will say that after I applied and I signed up for LinkedIn premium, I'm not trying to endorse them, but <laughs> just, I did that. And I'll tell you that I noticed right away, I could see that members of the organization looking at me. So you put your resume in, that's step one. Just know that the second you put the resume in, you know, imagine now if you're on a search committee and I'm on them on the backside, we're going to look at your LinkedIn profile. That would be one thing or anything that might be available about you. We'll be looking at that. And so I was fortunate or happy that I had done the work to get my LinkedIn profile spruced up before I actually went into the application process. So timeline wise, how long was it between the, the time you put in the application or dropped your resume till you got some interest from Franklin Pierce? And when did you tell the JAG Corps about this? <laughs> yeah, all good. Really good. I put in the application. A few weeks later, I received you know, an email and, and a request to do a screening interview. This was in the middle of the pandemic. And so it was a Zoom interview about 30 minutes. And I did that in the screening process, which was really helpful, I'm sure, for them and for me because I could learn more about them. And, and I will say that I met the people whom I now work with and I really liked them. And I was like, wow, I like this group. And I could scratch the surface as to what they were looking for out of the position and what their challenges were. That was one of the questions I sort of asked going into this. You know, what were they looking for from the position? Because you can only go with what you're reading, but you know, what's going on there? And that helped grow the affinity of, I thought, I was like, I kind of like this group and I, I hope they like me. And then a short time after I received feedback to say that, uh, that I was a finalist and that they wanted to host uh, you know, a one-day event. Interestingly, due to COVID, they wanted to do a one-day event on Zoom, which <laughs> is kind of a standard thing now, as opposed to drive three hours to Concord you know, from Newport or two and a half hours and, and get up there and visit. All sorts of good reasons why we had to do it that way. Up to this point, had not spoken with the JAG Corps, right? It was very much just, all right, we'll keep moving forward with the process. And then what I recall is when I got the finalist interview and the day was set, so this is maybe set three few weeks later than the screening call. That is when, if I recall, I hope I got my facts correct, but that's when I recall for the first time letting my supervisors know, hey, I just want you to know as a matter of courtesy, this is going on. I don't know what's going to happen out of this, but I just need you to know. I don't want you to be surprised. I kept it really quiet, as you can imagine, as a CEO of a school. I didn't want to put anything out there with, with the staff or the team. And so that's that was the next step. I did the finalist thing. You spend the day with Franklin Pierce on Zoom. And then at some point they said, we want you? Yep. So we did the finalist process. The day was kind of exhausting because you're just jumping from Zoom to Zoom. But it allowed me to see the institution better, like the people, more of the people than whom I met in the 30-minute screening call. And it allowed me to really understand what their challenges were, what they were looking for, who the people were. I got to meet with students, staff, faculty, a big group, small groups. What I also found really helpful was that there was an interim incumbent in the position who you know, was working with all the candidates, I'm sure, and there were more than just me. It was really helpful for that person to really spend the time with me in a really personal way to talk to me about the position and made me feel welcome and comfortable about the process. And, and at the same time, being open and transparent about, you know, you might get picked, you might not, but 
we really like you, so that's why you're here type of thing, right? So it was great. It was a great uh, way to show me how now how I behave as a search committee member because it's really a two-way street in, in working with candidates. So that, for me, helped grow the affinity and the comfort because if you can imagine anyone in this transition, at least for me, imagine how much of a big step this would be, right? A huge yeah. step into an unknown. So the more the employer can make it feel comfortable, the better. But to go back to your question, I want to say a few weeks to about a month later, I think it was all sort of to the point where I got the offer. Was this fall of 20, spring of 21? What timeline was this? Yeah, I want to say that it began in about February and the offer came in in about April. One of the things that people are concerned about when they're leaving the the Navy and the JAG Corps is if a good job or that job lands in your lap like it did with you the ability to get off of active duty in a relatively quick timeline and complicating yours was that you were a commanding officer. Maybe that made it easier for them to let you go, but how did that go about with, hey, I've got this offer, I'd like to leave sooner than later? That was the most stressful part about the entire process. And I would say stressful because there's a timing element, right? The employer wants you at a certain time, particularly here, as I've learned, there's an you know, academic calendar and we really need people in the seat in the summer to get ready. Uh, but as we all know, the process in, in retiring, the command itself in the Navy wants, and by rule, wants certain amounts of time to be prepared. And then you have the people that you work with that, you know, you know how huge of a of a thing it is when a CO leaves, you know, whether it's fitness reports and planning for that and how you're impacting other people's careers potentially on the timing. So there, the stressful part for me was a lot of what I'm just going to say, like a guilt complex about uh, leaving like that and requesting to leave under such tight circumstances, which was, it, it wasn't as if we all knew, you know, that this was going to happen and this was the end of my tour. It was really to be candid, it was quicker than I had thought and quicker, I'm sure, that my leadership had thought. And that's where I have to say I was really appreciative of our leadership um, and the Navy side who were really gracious with me and allowing me to pursue it. And then I continued to obviously hold a little bit of institutional guilt because of my affinity for the Navy about how it all took place. But I did obviously my best to make the transition as easy as possible. Sure. But the JAG Corps put some shoulder behind it to help you get through the Navy out processing in a bureaucracy so that you could take this opportunity. Yeah, that that's absolutely certain. And which I think is really speaks well to the institution that if they, you know, even take care of you to the point where they know it may harm them in the short term, mm-hmm. that you hope that that generates the goodwill in the long term because they know that they take care of their people. So, and MO, by the way, now I'm here on the civilian front and, you know, I'm one of the Navy JAG Corps' biggest cheerleaders, right? And I'm in a position where I can now help future students. So I'd like to think that, insta- you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, that I can give back and do things for the Navy JAG Corps in a way now that I hope has a lasting impact. I'm not saying I wouldn't have done that anyway if sure. my experience was different on how I departed, but I certainly appreciated the circumstance in which I was allowed to depart. Well, and for guys like me that are still on active duty, if that choice job lands in my lap, it's just so encouraging to hear that the Navy JAG Corps is willing to help you realize that the opportunities for departing JAG members to to be able to jump on it and bring together everything that you're trying to do because you still have to provide for yourself and your family for a while longer. That is great to hear. And if any of the JAG leadership is listening, thank you. Yes, ditto. Thank you. Shane, preparing for this, and how did you prepare for this? I know you talked to people 
how did you research the job so that you could have those intelligent conversations and that give and take when you were going through the interview process? Yeah, I remember talking with those JAG mentors that had been in the job so I could talk to Hank and Tammy and say, what do you do for a living there? And they describe what they do. And of course, what they do at, at one law school, every law school is a little bit different, as I've learned, uh, but it was helpful to understand some of that. Talked about some of the accreditation activities that happen in the administrative world. Talked a little bit of, about the uh, admissions side of things, particularly areas that I wasn't very familiar in. I did a lot of research just in literature to read about law school admissions because that was one half of the job to understand the law school uh, market. There's a lot going on in the law school market, but it's not like well apparent. It's not the first thing anyone's going to read about, right? But once you start to dive in on any one topic, there is a whole field of literature and a whole field of research about that. So you can kind of understand the trends and some of the, the general baselines of that area so that you're at least conversant in that area. I remember doing a lot of research, finding people, even through LinkedIn, that had done similar jobs. And a lot of the, their CVs and resumes are available online. And it was really good for me to see those CVs and resumes. So I understood how they document who they are and what they do in their experiences. In fact, I used that to tailor my CV and resume. If you can imagine, I was probably crashing on about a two-week period where I quickly and thoroughly put together the resume. My letter, you know, the, the letter that you send in with the, the cover letter was carefully crafted for this position. It was the only position I was applying to, right? the uh, diversity, equity, inclusion statement that the institution asked me to, to provide. And I spoke to some experiences I had is, at the Justice School to help me with that. All of that by reading other materials out there that were from other people that are doing similar jobs. That was really helpful to me to understand that. And then I remember meeting with that professor I, I mentioned to you to uh, share my draft resumes and have them look at it because they, they you know, been in search committees. And I remember uh, that a professor coaching me a bit to say, okay, so what are your like three things that you can impart to the search committee about who you are and, and what you bring to this? And so I thought that was really helpful. What I really appreciate about this whole process is how generous people are with their time as mentors. And you obviously remember that so that you can do the same for other people. So really, Tom, there's a lot of different levels of preparation between talking to people already in the in industry, doing some reading research seeing what was available, just available uh, online and doing some research there, talking to a few just, you know, close friends as well, uh, just sort of a gut check as to what am I doing here? <laughs> and for them to, you know, give you the confidence that you needed to say, no, you can do this. And so that was really helpful. I'd be remiss. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do this, but obviously got to thank my wife for all of this. She's the one to put the nudge, nudge into me. You know, um, I think it's very easy to just stay and and I'm a, and that's great reasons to stay. But when we saw this one, she's the one that nudged me and said, "You know, you can do this." Shane, you <laughs> mentioned HigherEd.com, and yeah. you're not the first person that has mentioned that. How valuable of a resource is that if you're a JAG looking into to getting into higher education? It's it's extremely valuable. And you know, honestly, I I was very fortunate to to get this position. So I don't have a ton of experience doing a lot of job searching. I, but I can tell you that that appeared to me to be an extremely comprehensive resource, both regionally, nationally, and by field and jobs, you know, just to see all the different jobs out there, whether it's a faculty job or an administrative job. In fact, I remember I was drawn to New Hampshire in the northern New England area for geographic reasons. And I saw some faculty postings 
And I remember sharing the faculty posting with my my wife and she's like, well, hold on, how about this other one? And that was the administrative staff type posting that, that you see that I think fits my desires, my my habits, my skills, skill sets, et cetera. But you, I wouldn't have seen it without that website. And so when I talk to other colleagues that have reached out to me about higher education careers, I do mention that to them because um, if anything, I was able to read postings from all over the country and just kind of read the different job descriptions. And from that alone, I could understand some of the terminology, distinctions between assistant dean, associate dean, different departments that are fairly common across certain higher education fields like student affairs or career services or admissions. It's from there and I'm looking at other job postings out there that I recognize that, frankly, the job I'm in is a blend of like two different jobs, which was really interesting to me. It's not necessarily common. And so I really was intrigued by the the challenge of the job that, that I'm in now. Obviously, since you're in this position, you were looking at academic higher education role. What other kind of prospects were you thinking about doing if you had gone through an organized <laughs> retirement <laughs> and transition process? What other areas were you thinking about? I think you're always thinking that you could do something more closely aligned with what you did a lot of in the JAG Corps, which is I, I was thinking for sure government service GS USA jobs. And I had been looking in there. And so doing jobs are very similar to an in-house you know, SJA role, but being on the government side. So that was certainly a consideration. However, to be candid, it wasn't really the job that I was interested in because I felt like I'd done enough of that. And I was thinking for a new challenge. Maybe I can do it. There's uh, still bills to pay. I've got some kids in college, right? But I was like, ah, you know, I'm not sure. You know, um, next door to me at, in, in Newport is the Defense Institute of International Legal Studies. And being someone that worked in some of the operational law field, you know, of course, what they do is really intriguing as well. So there are, um, you know, a number of positions at Dills that I thought would be interesting. It's in the New England area. You have the War College nearby as well, right? So I could imagine that was a sort of a some thoughts that I, that I would have had if I had done a more traditional thing. And I'm just uh, sitting here now thinking how blessed I am that I ran across this other one in the civilian side, if you will, and that it kind of all lined up well, because I really doesn't mean that I wouldn't be happy in those other things I just described, but I, I really I found um, a really refreshing challenge to being in a whole new field and then taking all the skills that you have with you and apply to that new field. That's been a lot of fun. I'm of the opinion you have two mindsets of approaching the transition. You can either be scared of it, embraced it, and it sounds like you've embraced it. A lot of our jobs that we've had in the Navy are not necessarily ones that we would have picked first. The detailer saying, well, you know, have you thought about this? You know, and they are some of your most fun jobs that you've had. And, you know, you think about the road less traveled and here you are. So, I mean, your career progression is a testament to, I think, all the things that we should be embracing, the unpredictable nature of it, seizing the opportunity when it rises and, you know, having all your ducks in a row tap and everything else that if all of a sudden you look out and somebody's looking back at you, to be able to get out of the Navy in a very short period of time, I think it's a great story. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, As you said, a few of those things, it reminded me to just acknowledge and thank that there was a number of people in the Navy who made all of those administrative processes go really, really well. And as we acknowledge in the Navy bureaucracy, that cannot go so well sometimes. And just the amount of people that you know helped me out. And I hope it wasn't because of rank. It wasn't that. I, I don't think, right? I hope not. But they were really were helping me out. There were people I knew across time that I'd been in the Navy sure. 
And even, you know, and then, you know, my career counselors in the, the local group in Newport for transition, all of those groups that are here to help us in the transition were just, you know, tremendous to me to help smooth some of that process. That was a, kind of a, not a surprise is the wrong word. I just didn't understand how much would be involved with it and, and how uh, they helped me through it all. So that was great. Now, Shane, when you retired, did you retire was it the old letter request or was it through NSIPs? <laughs> NSIPs, and that's it, a little bit of what I was alluding to. NSIPs is its own uh, thing. And finding the right people that can click the right buttons was its own thing. And there were a number of, uh, of staff members in DC that number of legal men that were great, um, that helped me navigate, a command career counselor type people that helped me navigate the system, as well as frankly, old, uh, you know, a buddy of mine who was an administ- uh, admin, uh, LDO admin that I had, you know, known for years from a previous tour, who happened to be in Millington. I said, "Hey, can you help me understand?" And he's like, "Oh, you know." So, you know, the network and the colleagues you build up over the years, sure. and they're able to just say, "No, no, no. Here's how this works." And and so that was really helpful. And oh, I'd be remiss. You got to thank the Jack Core detailers as well. There's a whole thing there, right? And they were yeah. really helpful to me in this. And I asked that question because I've heard that you're doing this formal or request electronically. So when you hit send or submit, your thinking is it's it's going to get routed like we have with so many other like electronic processes. But I've heard antidotal stories about it's not that way, that maybe the detailer can see this, but can't see this part of it. And if you just fire and forget, you're going to be forgotten that you have to be pushing it and that you're learning that, okay, detailer can't see this. And that belongs over here and figuring out who you need to get to. So the takeaway is when you hit it in SIPs, you should still be reaching out to people to make sure that it's moving along. Absolutely. It doesn't feel like it's sort of a segmented activities and it does go in like a series of like routing, as I understand it. But uh, yeah, it was it was in maybe because I was under a time crunch. So there was more time like I, I didn't have time to waste that I was very methodical about making sure like, okay, who's it go to next? And then making sure like there was a person uh, in the, my supervisory chain in DC that would be getting it. And now, as you know, in these days, it's it's to every individual account, right? So the person will need to log in and authenticate and do all these things. So it's like very clear that I need to make sure I chase down certain people that have the button click. And before they click the button, it's not going to go to somebody else. And then uh, the detailing shop was very helpful in explaining, and my, my friend I mentioned there, Milton, explaining how num- how a number of different offices touch this thing. And so it, it is incumbent on you to, just like in almost anything, right, uh, in your career, to really got to look out for yourself on this and follow those things down. Which I got to ask the question again, how long was it from the time you submitted it to get your retirement approval. Granted, you were under a time crunch, but in talking to the detail, I said, you know, look, the Navy needs a minimum of six months to retire you. Yeah. And, and I got that. I'm not going to be asking for a very quick timeline like yours. And we've known other people who've been able to get out of the JAG Corps in short order like that. But how long of a time were you in doubt where you submitted it until they came back and said, all right, your retirement date of whatever you requested is approved? I was in doubt up to the time I got the orders in hand and email. <laughs> you know, right. I was just prepared. I was like, I'm in doubt until I get the orders in my hand. And uh, because I was under a really tight timeline. And again, you got to remember in my mindset, there's some guilt in the background, right? You, you're trying to do all the right things about sewing up your time and command, writing all the good fit reps that you need to do, being very careful, methodical with the transition. And in the background, there's this like, take care of me. 
But so to give you a concept, I think I, I mentioned how I gave an informal heads up that I was going into the finalist phase and which is about a month later or three weeks later, whatever that the offer's coming in. So I felt that was really helpful because it at least gave a month's time for leadership to think about it. You know, <laughs> really like, hmm. <laughs> and, and then we could figure out a, a possible transition plan on the Navy side. But administratively, I remember there was about a week where I was just trying to chase down the right buttons to click for the where to get it in INSEPS. I mean, that was really a stress was INSEPS. I got to get it through. But once the thing got on the tracks properly at INSEPS, it went really fast. But, you know, if you think through, it was in April that I had kind of heads up and I was doing the change of command at the end of July. And I would not recommend this to anybody else, but I was at my next job the following Monday in August. So that's how fast it went. I don't think that's ideal and I don't think that that's normal. But back to your point about embracing it and sometimes things happen. This is what happened to me and and I just went for it. So Shane, anything that I didn't ask you that you thought you would be talking about? Well, Tom, thanks for having me on this. It's clear to me you're really good at doing these things. You've had some practice at that. I can't think of other questions you could have asked me. I I just want to leave a reassuring message to other people because I know I grew up in, you know, one institution for what nearly 26 years and kind of couldn't imagine doing anything else. And and in some respects, uh, maybe unclear, uncertain of how this would go. And I tell a lot of friends now, you know, the water's just fine. Everything's good. <laughs> I'm sure other uh, transitions are different for everybody. And there may be times of periods where you may not walk right into the job, you know, the following Monday. But I am confident that in the organization we we were in, in the Navy JAG Corps, we're more, I think, talented and employable than maybe we give ourselves credit for because you're so used to being in one place institutionally. And then also now a year later into the job, there's obviously uncertainty when you go into a new job, how much I've appreciated my past experiences to make me ready for this work. So I reassure anybody else out there thinking about doing this, that it's going to be all good. Well, Shane, uh, I will leave you this note. You know, you were very thankful to Tammy Tideswell and Hank Malaningo for, and other people that gave their time to you. And I thank you for playing it forward to others that are going to be hearing this And I appreciate your time and educating all of us. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Tom. And thanks for doing these uh, podcast series. Really, really helpful. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the JAG Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production. 